Welcome to Totally Pretentious, a podcast about great movies. I'm Sean. I'm David. And we are here today to talk about two things. The first is going to be discussing Jurassic World. Uh, and the second is going to be our proper film discussion, which is going to be about Jurassic Park. And the reason why I picked Jurassic Park is because, well, Jurassic World came out this month, and many of us had high hopes that it would not be as crappy as the trailers implied. Uh, and unfortunately, it was worse. Uh, but I suspect David is going to disagree with that, so we'll probably get into why David's wrong in a minute. Um, but uh, so why don't we start by actually talking about Jurassic World? Because then, because that's really let's let's face it, that's going to be on everybody's mind anyway. Because it just came out and it made like eight trillion dollars, and President Obama basically just begged the director to give him money to pay for the national debt. So, uh, I didn't like the film, David. I get that feeling. I did not like it at all. I I feel like the character from Dr. Seuss. He says he do, does not like green eggs and ham. I do not like it, Sam. I am. Yeah, I don't I don't like it. Uh, and there are a number of reasons I did not like it. Uh, first, it felt utterly derivative. It seemed to borrow major thematic elements from all three of the previous Jurassic Park movies, but didn't do anything remotely interesting with them. I mean, for example, it takes the plot line of the T-Rex fight that exists in uh, the third Jurassic Park movie, which most people consider not to be that great, uh, in which we have a larger dinosaur fighting a T-Rex, but in Jurassic World, I thought the T-Rex fight at the end, where it was fighting the genetically modified Indominus Rex, I thought that fight was really boring. Whereas in Jurassic World, the Spinosaurus actually like twists the T-Rex's head and snaps its neck in this like crazy battle that is really fairly minor compared to the rest of the film. Um, so it borrows that. I felt that it was trying to do some of the same things that the first Jurassic Park movie did in terms of trying to give us that sense of wonder, but I never felt like that wonder was there. It felt hollow. Um, we had this park opening up. We, we see all of the attractions, but at no point did I really feel like anything was particularly exciting. I mean, even the, the gyro balls, which should have been really cool, we only get them for like a two-minute sequence where they're actually looking at dinosaurs in a field, and then it all devolves. And it just felt like, why wasn't that like what they opened up with when they got to the park was your first ride is a gyro ball and you get to hang out with dinosaurs so we could at least have a little of that wonder but it didn't give me any of that i thought the characterization was really poor um in particular i don't know why chris pratt was in this movie given uh his performance in a guardians of the galaxy where he is action star and comedian this film felt like he was just kind of there for a paycheck he didn't have a lot of good lines. Uh, they were mostly absent. Uh, I hated D'Onofrio's character because right from the second he says, let's use them in military applications, you know that's the dumbest fucking idea they could ever come up with. And it's obvious to everyone else looking that it's stupid. Of course that's dumb. And it just, I don't know, I, I got to the end of it and I just felt like everything was grating when it was trying to do the criticism that Jurassic Park was doing of kind of corporate infrastructure and those kinds of things. It felt too obvious, like it was trying really hard to sort of cut out the legs from under itself. And I yeah, it just got to the end and I just felt massively disappointed. Um, it It felt too much like it was a reboot and not enough like its own movie, I guess is what I would say. 
Well, um, on the one hand, I, I don't necessarily disagree with um, most of your, your uh, criticisms there. I mean, uh, the um, there were all sorts of things that I certainly thought, yeah, you know, that you know, uh, that the, the, these were problems. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, I, I conversely really enjoyed the dinosaur fight at the end, and uh, basically the the what it gave me with the dinosaurs, and especially with when I hit the got to the Dino War, it's like everything else faded to insignificance for me. So uh, yeah, you know, derivative, but you know what, um, derivative um, is. Uh, is is in fact the, the one of the the key aspects of um, so much of uh, though this is not a Spielberg film of Spielberg's oeuvre uh, from uh, uh, Jaws to Jurassic Park onwards. Now the sense of wonder, no, not really there, but that really was I think an unrepeatable element of Jurassic Park. Because once that film gave us these incredibly realistic dinosaurs, and particularly in that that scene wherein um, Sam Neill and Laura Dern see them for the first time, after that you you can't go back there again. So we don't get that sense of wonder in any of the other Jurassic Park films either. Um, I mean, though I did certainly get a frisson when you realize that uh, uh, the, uh, the the Indominus Rex is starting to is is out thinking and outsmarting uh, the, uh, the the characters, and, and certainly I thought that was fun. Oh no! Now no, no. I got to disagree there. It's not out thinking, outsmarting. The humans in this movie are just really freaking stupid. Well, it's still out thinking and outsmarting, even though they're, they're, they're stupid. Now the the criticism <laughs> of essentially, uh, you know, like uh, you know. Uh, you know, the, the, the film has been mentioned as uh, uh, criticized for having a great special effects and poor characterizations, which is exactly what the original film was condemned for as well. Sure, but uh, there, there's it, a it, key it, difference, right? That the, when you look at Jurassic Park by comparison, it actually has fairly deep uh, characterization. No, this was exactly what that film was criticized for. I mean, certainly if you look at the reviews at the time, sure. review after review after review is like, these. the, the special effects are great, the characters are... Are just cardboard. Uh, they're they're uh, they they've been um, uh, they, they've been reduced to nothing, right? So exactly the same critique. Now, um, now having said that, uh, I mean certainly the uh, I mean I think one of the 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 biggest issues that's been brought up with um, uh, Jurassic World is the uh, is what happens with the women in the film. Um, and uh, the the case you can make a case of a kind of one step forward, two steps back as far as uh, in in particular uh, the um, the characterization of uh, now I'm trying to remember the uh, the, the name of the character our our, our central um, the the corporate uh, lady Bryce Dallas yeah. Howard's uh, 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 character um, uh, Claire uh, now uh, there is the um, I mean, she over and over, you know, in, in, in much of the film, she's reduced to um, uh, basically, you know, just being uh, you know, kind of very stereotypical. Uh, A caricature. Run around while the caricature, while the the male hero does uh, does all the work, though we have her saving the day at the end uh, with uh, with the T Rex. Um, sure. Convert uh, uh, not, which is a situation we don't get with Ellie Stamper um, in in Jurassic Park. On the other hand, Laura Dern is sidelined for um, really the for, for the bulk of Jurassic Park. Uh, it, it is Sam Neill's film. His character is the one that has an arc, whereas is the only essentially the, well, with, perhaps with uh, maybe the uh, only deep arc. I mean, other characters have arcs, but they're really. 
by comparison, much more simplified, I think. Well, but I, mean, I don't think we can say that uh, Laura Dern's character has an arc in Jurassic Park. She's no, essentially, she doesn't, I, no. She's exactly the same at the end of the film as she is at the beginning. Uh, sure. In Jurassic World, um, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard is really the only character who has an arc, with the exception of the dinosaurs. And this is the other thing that I, uh, which I uh, enjoyed immensely. I got a, a film where dinosaurs had character arcs. And frankly, when I go to a Jurassic Park movie, movie I'm going for the dinosaurs. You could um, put up um, standees uh, with actors' faces on, and that would be good enough for me uh, as far as the characters are concerned, because I really don't care about them, uh, except as, um, as, as, as things to run around and scream while the dinosaurs are coming for them, which is much of what is, is, is we, we get in, in Jurassic Park. And I think that, I mean, the, 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 these are essentially kaiju films, uh, in in, sure. in many in many respects, and characterization is beside the point uh, uh, for me. So the I mean, though the the, the criticisms I have heard um, of of Jurassic World are ones that I can't really disagree with. Um, my family and I enjoyed it immensely. We got all the dinosaur rampaging that um, uh, we uh, could have wanted, and uh, man, uh, despite uh, the uh, containment anomalies, um, as they put it, I would buy a ticket to that park in a uh, in a heartbeat. Well, here's where I will disagree. As soon as I found out what morons were running this park, I would not go. But I would go to a park featuring dinosaurs. The problem is, I don't understand how this park has been running as long as it has in Jurassic World, given that the people they hire, like, I feel like they went to, like, they went to a fair and were like, we're going to pay minimum wage for people to take care of dinosaurs because like okay so like let, let's take the example of the Indominus Rex. How does the Indominus Sean, it makes Rex no it makes no sense that these parks would open in the first place. Well, I could see it. Right? I could see a park like oh, we figured out how to make dinosaurs. Like look, if they made a woolly mammoth, they they say they could do it. I don't know if they actually can. But let's pretend for a minute they can make a woolly mammoth. They would put a woolly mammoth in a damn park and people would flock from all over the place to see a live they would but if if in your first attempt to do so everybody died and the anim uh, and the island became became uninhabitable um you're not going to get uh a what was fourth chance uh well no because the second movie wasn't about the park it was about the second island that was like a research island Again, the but again the, the you know the uh, again I, I can't even believe we're we're discussing the realism of the this park in the first no, place. Okay, right? no, this no, is no, like no, going no. To Cleopatra for the snake. No, no. See, this is the thing. It, it, there's that line for me uh, where I can. What, what's the what's the phrase? Um, dispel disbelief. Right. Suspension of disbelief. Dispension of disbelief. Right. Where uh, where I can I can I get to that line and as long as you don't cross that line I'm like I can I can buy it right like yeah it's pretty far fetched we're gonna make a dinosaur park with real dinosaurs that's that's pretty far fetched I mean just even thinking about that realistically like the legal problems the fact that they probably broke like 800 international laws just to genetically engineer these yada yada right but I'm willing to accept. Right, because if somebody, if somebody with a shit ton of money said, "I want to build a park with real dinosaurs," I can do it technologically. You know what? I feel like that could happen, even if it's far fetched. However, what I can't accept is that that park would then hire people who go into a pen with a genetically modified, super smart dinosaur, open up the main doors because they think it has "quote unquote" escaped, 
and then leave the doors like, oh, what, what, we're just going to go inside and then we're going to up. Right. This is stupid. It is the <laughs> dumbest thing in the like. At least when the T-Rex gets out, it's because of sabotage. Right. It's somebody literally fucking over the whole park. Right. He, he shuts down entire systems and the park goes and falls apart. Right. That is a human deliberately trying to let dinosaurs out. This is one where humans through utter idiocy either let dinosaurs out because they're stupid. Like, first off, OK, I got this pissed me off because like later on right they they uh they're like oh where's the indominus rex and they ask the person in the control room and he's like well it's still in the tank because the infrared says right and i'm like why didn't you ask that guy to do an infrared scan before you went inside the freaking enclosure why would you what what is wrong with you you created a giant carnivore (laughs) they did do a scan uh it it wasn't registering on the infrared that's why they went in no 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 they the scan that they did was with their uh the little chip no, that came that came afterwards. They, oh, they went the in because okay. it, it's the infrared. But the thing is, you know, I mean, yeah, no, it wasn't I, the like infrared. It was the chip. I'm sorry, the yeah. other way around. Yeah, but, no, but I mean, all all yeah. of this is true. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, so the, the film is heavily is heavily uh, dependent on an idiot plot, um, which is um, as you know, many of these things are. And I, I mean, I, I well. Uh, we're, we're certainly not going to. I'm not going to argue you into enjoying the film um, uh, any more than you will convince me that I didn't enjoy it. Uh, but and I guess what what it, what it came down to for me is that um, it gave me lots of dinosaurs and I didn't really care about anything else. And I guess I just I I like I like the pretty. It's nice, you know, dinosaurs, cool beans, and all that. But I just want I want. M- I want a film that's good that also has those things that isn't just spectacle that no, has and that's also fair character. Enough. Yeah, and 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 I, you know what, um, and I don't disagree with that. Um, and uh, cert- could could the film have done better? Uh, absolutely. It it gave me uh, it it gave me enough to uh, to enjoy it. Do it? Did I think you know? Um, you know, a- am I seeing uh, the riches that are there in say the original King Kong? Uh, or or the original Godzilla. Um, no, I don't. But not um, <laughs> no. Um, did it give me more meat than Age of Ultron? Yes, it did. Uh, so you know, if I look at the the summer movies this year, um, it's a long, long way from giving me uh, something like Fury Road. But it delivered in a way that uh, for me, that Age of Ultron left me cold. I mean that. Okay, I guess I, that's fair. I just, I, I guess I just can't. I just, I, I just want to not have to like. I want to go to a film like with Fury Road. Like I never had to question the co- complete craziness of this world because from the start, the very first images we get are crazy, right? So I know I'm in for a ride of crazy. Right, this place is just going to be full of just weird, like the pole vaulting dudes and like all, like all that stuff. Right, I know what I'm getting from the start, but going into a Jurassic Park movie, what I think I'm getting is, you know, here is a mistake being being made, but we're going to get these characters, we're going to sort of learn a little bit about them, and then things are going to go horribly wrong, and it's going to be about us fearing for their survival, which is what Jurassic Park really is in many respects about. It's about 
fearing for our human survivors and trying to figure out who's actually going to survive this and learning about them through the process. And I never got any of that. And in some cases, I didn't even care about characters. And I just wanted to feel like like the opening scene of Jurassic World, there's the implication that they're there's something wrong with this family, and we're supposed to care that they're being shipped off to go hang out with their aunt at Jurassic World. But when it comes up that they're getting a divorce, it's like this one quick scene, and then it's suddenly forgotten. Like, none of this characterization matters. And I don't yeah, – why did you even bother? Why didn't you just say, like, the first scene should have just been them getting off the helicopter, right, and going, whoa, dinosaurs, really cool, and then just, just go it, just go for it. And just get yeah, rid no, of all I, of the rest of that and just make it about very clear from the start. It's about dinosaurs. Done. Which is which is fair enough. Um, I did find there was an you know as, as loosey goosey as uh, those characterizations were, there was enough for me to um, uh, care care about the, these 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 characters enough. Now, do we would it be nicer to get more? Yes, I agree. Uh, that uh, it you know, we, we we shouldn't have to just make do. Sure. Um, but the, yeah, then there's the realities of, 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 of things. And, uh, the, you know, the, the, there's been a lot of diminishing returns with the Jurassic Park films. Sure. Uh, I've, you know, um, I enjoyed the third one far less than I had enjoyed the, 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 the previous two. Um, I think the one thing that, the, the virtually the only thing I re- retained from the third one is the, um, the Peter Pan gag uh, with the uh, the cell phone ringing inside the Spinosaurus. Yeah. So there's kind of an, an expectation thing now. Uh, and see, one of the things that you know, could it have been better? Yes, it could have. Uh, was it better than I thought it would be? Yes, it was. And the uh, I think one. I, I agree with the. I think it was a, a Entertainment Weekly. Um, the uh, the article say, pointing out that one of the things that the film this film di- does, which, for instance, Age of Ultron doesn't, is that um, we we do if, if, in the problem the problematic another way scene of the the death of uh, of uh, Claire's assistant. Um, it's also a moment where we're actually seeing innocent bystanders get it badly. Uh, and this is something that even Jurassic Park doesn't do, where the, with, with, I think perhaps one brief exception, uh, the, um, we, we never are given these kind of the prolonged deaths of characters that, um, don't deserve it. Uh, the, uh, sure. the people that we like in Jurassic Park are, um, are either safe or killed off screen. Um, which uh, there's a, there's a, a a cruelty in that in that moment, which um, uh, setting aside, if one you know, th- though perhaps one shouldn't, but but there, there, so there is the issue that really one of the only other um, the the only drawn out death that we get in Jurassic World happens to a woman. So that so there's a problem there. Well, uh, and remember but, that when when Jurassic Park kills people on screen. It's either Muldoon, the African game, big game hunter, who I think we're inclined to dislike uh, because of who he is, and also the blood-sucking lawyer, which I think is meant to be humorous, yeah, as yeah, well as we, terrifying. I mean, we, we, yeah, yeah uh, we, 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 they're, they're, they're deaths that we are asked to enjoy, but that's the thing. No one in Jurassic Park that we like, with the right. exception, I mean, the, the exception is Samuel Jackson, but we don't know that he's dead until his body shows up. 
Right, and he's killed uh, off screen, like you said. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas we here we get um, someone killed on screen, and um, and so the the problem that I just mentioned uh, is there, but also the the flip side is an, a kind of necessary cru- uh, a needed cruelty uh, in in films about giant monsters eating people. Uh, that um, you know something that we get, for instance, in the um, in in the original Godzilla, uh, where uh, people who don't deserve it die horrible deaths, and there's a um, there's a jolt there uh, that um, uh, I, th- I think it, it makes for an interesting comparison uh, between the um, the unacknowledged deaths of thousands in Man of Steel uh, and the improbable rescue of thousands, uh, anonymous thousands uh, that we get in in Age of Ultron. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But that's a discussion for another time. Sure, sure. Um, I guess the last thing I will say. Uh, uh, so. Is it fair to say that the one kid, the the cute one from like Iron Man three, I think is the kid, um, is he supposed to be autistic? The, he that's keeps interest- counting numbers, right? And but they're like inconsistent. He does it sometimes, and it's it's supposed to be this thing when we get to that final scene, right? And he says we don't have enough teeth, right? It's so to imply, oh, we need someone else. Like you know, we yeah. got to get another dinosaur in here. Oh, it's T Rex. But it it seemed really inconsistent. I couldn't tell if he was just like he was just weird or he was autistic or like this is his response mechanism because he's the one that's figured out they're having a divorce. I, I it never made sense to me. Yeah, that was an um I I wasn't quite sure what to make of that. Uh you're right that it was inconsistent. It, it like there's a characterization element that sort of came and went. Yeah. Um and my my stepdaughter raised uh that that issue and um that that you know if I mean if he was um I mean if if, if he was um, if they were suggesting that there was a, a degree of autism there, um, I mean it's interesting that it's there without ever um, without ever being made a deal of, right? It's just who he is, sure. uh, which is a point of his favor. On the other hand, like you said, it's also um, it, it it blips in and out. So I um, I wasn't. It, it, it's really hard to get a handle on that. Yeah, I mean it just. <laughs> It was a thing that was like I felt that if if it was meant to be autism, um, like even like clearly fairly mild autism because he's he's it's not severe autism. It, if it is autism, it's something fairly minor. He's just attaching to numbers. But it's one of those things that kind of I felt that if that's the case, it it treated it as though I I don't know if I would agree that it treated it as though it's not a big deal. I felt like what it did was it made him seem weird. In the film. Well, I, and that's that. Okay, and yeah, that, that's a point. Uh, and I guess I, um, I just th- that bit was so um, poorly uh, constructed. Yeah, yeah. That that there's just I, I just don't know what was um, was was happening with that. I mean, you could have made it like if he was okay so like let's just say oh he's autistic like let's have an autistic kid right and it'll be interesting because he's going to a place full of dinosaurs he's interested in dinosaurs and so the things he might count are things like teeth and like that's his thing right is he 
he, he's autistic, but he, he, I don't know if this is real. I know nothing about autism, but like, that's his thing is he, he counts. He knows numbers and he can like process numbers really quick. And that's just what he does. But you could make that super sympathetic, right? You could make that like, here's this kid and like, he's with his brother and he's, he's like, oh, well, uh, the brontosaurus has, you know, 87 teeth and, or, you know, like he's, he's saying these interesting numbers, but you don't make it like it's weird. You actually make it like, oh no, it, it fits. He's going to a giant dino park and he's counting teeth. Like have a, a park attendant going you're right that's that's how'd you know that and like you know like that would be interesting right you could make like you could have a moment where he meets a dinosaur and he's like this one's missing a tooth right it's got 86 it's supposed to have 89 or whatever and the park attendant would look and go by jove you're right it lost a tooth or you could make it sympathetic i mean i'm not a writer so that probably would not work on screen but you get what i'm saying right yeah, um, uh, I mean, I certainly, uh, uh, my sense was that this character was uh, being portrayed as sympathetic. He was, he was in many ways the primary identification figure for the audience for most of the film, uh, or for, for much of the film anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, um, more so than his brother. Um, yeah, and, who spends uh, most certainly- of it leering at women. <laughs> God. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, the the I certainly found myself thinking, boy, if I were at this park, I'd be this kid. Um, but um, yeah, the again, the, the, the I, I'm not going to um, uh, disagree that the I mean, the, really, the only um, I think uh, consistent characterizations we got were with the non-human characters. Oh well, okay. Well, we we can't we can't talk about the raptors because we don't have time, um, because that would be my disagreement. But. But All right. uh, but this isn't a review about Jurassic World, so no, we do we have to move talk. on to Jurassic Park. Yeah. yeah. Um, so again, like I, as I said, right? I picked Jurassic Park because Jurassic World came out this month. I also picked Jurassic Park because we haven't really done a blockbuster film. Uh, we've not done a film that's been you know massively financially successful. And while some of the films we've we've watched have been influential to a degree, uh, they've been influential in a very different way. Than something like Jurassic Park, which was influential in a number of ways, particularly visually, because its visual special effects uh, were, I mean, as you noted, right, earlier on, right, it got a lot of reviews that praised it for its visual effects, because what it was doing in 1993 was a pretty big deal. Um, And still, the the effects stand up very well today. And and I do want to talk about that um, maybe in just a moment, because uh, I... I hope everybody knows the story of Jurassic Park, but in case you don't know it, and it's one of those films that you've not seen yet, I really do highly recommend it. But the basic premise is you've got this eccentric, uh, I'm guessing he's a billionaire, uh, an eccentric capitalist of sorts who uh, really wants to create a park, and he hires a bunch of scientists, and he decides, well, hey, I'm going to create this massive dinosaur park, and we're going to have dinosaurs, and it's going to be like this revolutionary thing. And, uh, well, unfortunately, the investors are like, well, people keep dying at your park, as the opening scene demonstrates to us, right? Uh, how can you ensure the safety of park attendance, which is a legitimate problem? And so what does he do? He goes and gets two experts in paleontology. He gets a, 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 a paleobotanist played by Laura Dern uh, and uh, Sam Neill's Dr. Grant, who is I guess, he's just a standard paleontologist um, who happens to have a love affair with uh, with raptors, which he will have that love affair even more so in Jurassic Park 3 when he and a, and a raptor will actually uh, walk off into the sunset together. Um, 
that doesn't happen, but it's true. Um, but as you can expect, right, we have these this lot of characters who are supposed to basically write off the park as, a, as good to go for the investors, and things go terribly wrong. Uh, in particular, character of Nedry, uh, who has been hired by a, a, com- a competing organization we know nothing about to smuggle away uh, embryos, uh, basically sabotages the park, leads to several more deaths, and uh, the near death of Hammond's, uh, the eccentric billionaire's uh, children. And uh, it does a lot of really interesting things, and I think we are going to have to talk about a lot of them, but why don't we actually start by talking about the visual effects? Because as you noted, David, the visual effects here, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, but they really do hold up. And I think there's a good reason for that. And I think it's because uh, whatever people think of Spielberg's more recent films, he is a genius when it comes to special effects. I mean, it's something that one of the books I was reading made a comparison between Jurassic Park and Jaws, uh, where Spielberg is very careful about what he shows and when he shows it. And in particular with the CG, uh, I noticed that the T-Rex in particular, which is the biggest participant in the CG, uh, is often shown in shadow or in darkness or in limited light. And I realized, I mean, part of that is necessity for the, the story. I mean, a giant T-Rex in the dark is a little bit more scary than T-Rex in, real, in bright light. But also that, uh, that limits the degree to which you can recognize the, the limits of the technology in 1993 because the shading, uh, it takes away some of the imperfections that would have been existent, which you can see when you see it in full light but is not as visible in darkness, uh, which I really appreciated. And Spielberg does make exceptional use of puppetry. Uh, yeah. Or animatronics, or I guess they're animatronic puppets, whatever. Um, and even then, he's careful about what he shows. Uh, when Muldoon, the big game hunter, is killed by a raptor, right? we see that we see the puppet attacking a thing, and we have bushes in front of us so that our vision is slightly limited, so we can't see fully what's happening it's sort of more suggestive than it is actually occurring um in other cases we do get big puppets we get to see a triceratops which is one of the most beautiful moments i think uh that big massive triceratops um it's just spielberg in this film is like on his a game i feel like with when it comes to the special effects and what did you think about all that david yeah, and and it's funny. Uh, I mean, what you were saying about uh, the, the the night, and yeah, I think it's very effective there. And I've always found it um, uh, odd when uh, I, I keep hearing people complain when the same technique is used to, uh, uh, in say, um, well, Godzilla most recently, uh, and uh, the uh, you know uh, uh, people are complaining about getting the, these things at night. Well, a I think a is more atmospheric, and b yeah, there there are still you know considerations as to maintaining that illusion yeah and and spielberg is um uh i think you know very good at you know um at the deployment of his special facts he always has been uh and what to show and what not to show he is a, a filmmaker who seems to sh- uh, enjoy showing as much as he can right now we see much less of uh of, of the shark in jaws partly in, in many ways because the big robot they built didn't work uh so <laughs> right, they kept breaking. had to show <laughs> Yeah, they had to show uh, and misbehaving in various ways, so they had to show a lot less. Um, 
the uh, so he's he's judicious, but what he can show and will show effectively, then he will, right? So we do get the big reveal of Bruce at the end of Jaws. Uh, well, or actually at, at, at various stages, right? Um, he, he's he's not in in the shadows all the time, and. And so there's going to be those elements that you just described of you know sort of of, of concealment of, uh, of of careful uh, use of, of you know, not not showing us too much. But when he can go the whole hog and really show us the dinosaurs, he does. And that's one of the the, the big purpose of Jurassic Park is to give us dinosaurs uh, on screen as we've never had them before. Uh, and and I think that that is I mean so much of what um, Spielberg does in um, in, in his, um, his his thrill ride films, as opposed to when he's putting his uh, serious filmmaker trademark uh, uh, hat on uh, for the his, his Oscar bait movies, like Schindler's uh, List. In fact, the same year as this one. Yeah. Um, the uh, so, but when when he's when he's in showman showman mode. Uh, so Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, in, uh, the Indiana Jones films, uh, uh, Jurassic Park, uh, and, and so on and so forth. Um, a big part of what he does is, and, and this is, he shares a lot in common with George Lucas here, um, obvious, for uh, obvious reasons, is to, re- in some ways, return to films of the past and try to give it, to us in a way that we've never had it before, um, and the, uh, the, the of course the, this formula, this or I shouldn't, not necessarily formula, but this this uh, approach has been in, was enormously successful. Uh, the and you know with with Jaws um, and then and then with Star Wars, Lucas giving Star Wars a couple of years later, we get the birth of the blockbuster era, and. The the creation of of again of, of films giving well how should I put this uh, it's been pointed out many times that what uh, Spielberg and Lucas were doing is uh, B movies with gigantic budgets uh, which has come to define the blockbuster era and uh, Roger Corman talks about uh, seeing Jaws uh, for the first time and and going oh crap all right. Um, <laughs> Because uh, uh, he says that things were really going really well at uh, New World in the mid '70s, the company was very successful. Then, when Jaws came out, New York Times critic Vincent Canby said, "What is Jaws but a big budget Roger Corman film?" He was right, but what he didn't say was it wasn't only bigger than mine; it was better than mine. And when I saw Jaws, I thought, "I'm in trouble." Uh, and <laughs> so the um, so. Uh, yeah, so there, there's those two things I think that we see in in, in the special effects, the uh, the giving us the effects as we've never had them before, while being very um, careful about how he does that. And I think there um, Spielberg has um, is it's perhaps one of the things in common that he has with uh, Kubrick, uh, and so perhaps making the the kind of posthumous collaboration of AI not as bizarre as as we might think, in, despite the fact that in terms of um, uh, temperament. The the two filmmakers could hardly be more different, uh, but they both the, the deployment of special effects are such that uh, they this the effects in their films age very very well, right? Um, the effects in The Shining and 2001 have barely aged a day, uh, and that's also true with Jurassic Park. 
Yeah, and I think it's interesting, you know, uh, a, a bit earlier you said, you know, that uh, Spielberg will, you know, if he can do something effectively, he will show a lot of it, right? As he does here, we do get quite a lot of dinosaurs. I think there's like 57 sequences with, with CG animals in it, I think, and that was pretty revolutionary for the time. It was we, you didn't have films that used that much CG in 1993. Um, I think, think it's very interesting that in pre-production, so, so it should be noted that uh, that Spielberg was somewhat pushed to do this film. Uh, he wanted to do Schindler's List. He was also interested in doing Jurassic Park, but he wanted to do Schindler's List first, and he was kind of pushed by the studio to do Jurassic Park first. He ended up doing both films in the same year, um, and well, they released in the same year. Presumably, he he filmed... They were done back-to-back, but presumably he started filming the year prior. Um, uh, But one of the things he did say in pre-production is that while he really enjoyed Crichton's work, Michael Crichton, the the writer of Jurassic Park, uh, he thought that that book had too many damn dinosaurs in it, and so he didn't want to have that many. He wanted to be limited, and I think that's actually really effective here that we don't get – because I've read Jurassic Park, and there are a ton of dinosaurs. We get the flying dinosaurs. We get all kinds of stuff, and I think it's – Really important that Spielberg took that away and limited what we saw to what would be the most spectacular and then put a lot more focus on the characters. Um, And I think it's interesting that one of the characters that changes the most in Jurassic Park Hammond, played by Richard Attenborough, the, the brother of David Attenborough, by the way. Yes, that Attenborough. Isn't that cool? It's adorable. Um, That his character changes from the book to being far more sympathetic here. In fact, here I would say he's almost tragic. Uh, he's a tragic well, he's figure. Been, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's certainly turned into one of the good guys in a, when, he's, when he's one of the primary villains in the novel. Right, right. And here, I think it's really important, right, that, uh, you know, uh, I think some people have interpreted Hammond. I mean, the, look, this film is dealing with issues of, of basically, like, corporate greed on some level and a degree to which, like, you know, capitalists kind of just doing whatever the hell they want. And a lot of people, I think, have interpreted Hammond as being this kind of capitalist hog whose primary motives is profit over anything else. And I think that's completely wrong. I think Hammond's character is motivated by uh, human interest, by... I mean, there's this beautiful moment when they're having dinner, right? And the lawyer is saying, you know, oh, we can make a fortune. Like, we could do all of this. We could charge thousands of dollars. And what Hammond says is, no, I do not want a park that only caters to the super rich. Everyone deserves a right to see these dinosaurs, right? And the lawyer still doesn't get it. He's saying, well, fine, we'll have like a coupon day for like the peasants. And he laughs somewhat nervously because that's not what he wants. And throughout the film, we see that, like, yes, he is somebody who has a ton of money, who has done a lot of things to do a ton of money, but he's also a philanthropist. He's someone who has a deep interest in human affairs and in producing something of value for humanity. And in this case, he's, he wants to entertain people. And I think that that's something that gets lost as how much he actually cares about people and living things. I mean, he even cares about the dinosaurs. There's these, this moment, right, where he, the, the raptor's being born at, it's coming out of the egg. And he says, right, I want to be present for everyone so that they come to trust me, right? It's clear that he, he loves the animals. And I think it's so interesting that Hammond's character, he does get an arc. I mean, it's not very, it's not explored much, but it is an arc that goes from, you know, this very misguided, eccentric, rich guy who is noble, I think, in his intent, but 
is not thinking things through is slowly torn apart right there's that moment with Laura Dern when he's eating the ice cream because it's melting and he's 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 still trying to cling to that hope that he could he could fix this and she's trying to tell him like no it's never going to happen right this is too dangerous you can't do this and by the end we see that moment where in the the helicopter when they they finally escaped and he's looking at the uh the amber with the mosquito in it on his his uh cane and you can see in his face that his like it's it, all of his dreams have been just crushed that day and it's that's the that's Hammond. That's he's this tragic figure, this misguided f- man who steps outside of what should be the realm of man, w- w- the the idea that you can control nature and has nature basically smack him in the face and take everything away from him. And yeah, so that's how I kind of see Hammond. But I don't know if you agree with that, David. Well, I think uh, yeah, um, and I agree with um, uh, some who have pointed out that um, uh, Hammond has become a kind of uh, he's Spielberg stand-in, right? Yeah, uh, uh, he's you know, the he's the showman uh, giving us um, with with a childlike sense of wonder, giving us the show that um, uh, no one yeah like that we've never had before. Right. Uh, so, and he's uh, he's in the little cartoon, um, and he, he's giving them the tour. I mean, he, he's he's Spielberg unveiling the wonders before us. Uh, so, uh, whether we want to, I mean, whether Kep and Crichton, when they were writing uh, their the screenplay, or thinking of this uh, or not, I don't know. But uh, it, it's not. It, um, It'd be possible to draw parallels uh, between Hammond, as you've just described him, uh, with Spielberg's own career, right? That you know, Spielberg emerging, uh, be- being one of the products of the American film renaissance, uh, that that flourishing of uh, creativity and freedom uh, from the late '60s to the mid '70s in uh, American cinema, uh, which you know, so we get Spiel- uh, along with Spielberg and Lucas Scorsese and Coppola and Cassavetes and and uh, uh, Hopper and uh, 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 Polanski and so on and so on and so forth, um, and yet uh, the uh, Spielberg, who had his opportunity to create for, uh, films for the first time because of this environment, unintentionally destroyed it. Uh, by showing Hollywood how to make a lot of money really fast again with Jaws. Uh, and so he, uh, in in the uh, the change that followed, uh, and you know, obviously I'm oversimplifying somewhat, but uh, you know Spielberg is, is the director who could continue to do the things he wanted, and yet, as you've just pointed out, he was under a lot of pressure to do this, so he um, so he could then do do Schindler's List. Uh, the he has. Um, he created a monster that went out of control, rather like uh, what has happened to Hammond, uh, while engaged in something that uh, was, you know, you know, also created a lot of joy. Yeah, yeah, it it's very interesting that that this character. Um, I mean, I really like Hammond. Um, you know, I, I he is he's at no point villainous, right? He's he's just very he's likable. Um, you know, he, he's weird. He's a little eccentric. He, and some of that is because he's got money and he can just do whatever he wants, right? I mean, the way he, which he manipulates Grant and uh, Sattler, right? He basically says, "I want you to come to this park, Sattler, 
a settler, yeah. And just, I, I'm, I'll fund your dig for three years. And they're like, okie dokie. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. he, he knows he can get people to do things for him with his money. But again, it's, it's his intent is he, he's using money to, to, I mean, perhaps in ways that are maybe somewhat unethical, but he's using them in ways that uh, are furthering goals, which are noble goals, but misguided goals. And I and I yeah, love his heart's that. Heart's in the right place. Yeah, his heart's in the right place. Right. I love that the scene with Lord Lord Dern Sattler's uh, with Sattler, right, where he's talking about the first attraction he ever opened was a flea circus, right? Which you know, as as people should note about flea circus, right, there aren't actually fleas in there, right? It's it's a it's an elaborate contraption. Right. So it's an illusion. But as she notes, right, these these dinosaurs aren't an illusion. Right. And I think that's something that he forgets is he's dealing with animals that uh, have no idea what century they're in. They have no idea the world that is around them. And they're doing the only thing dinosaurs know how to do, which is whatever their individual habits are. And every human there is out of their depth. Right. Even Muldoon is out of his depth, right? There's that moment with Grant where Grant, you know, his only interaction with velociraptors has been dead ones that have been dead for, you know, millions of years, right? And he's asking Muldoon all these questions and you can tell from Muldoon's perspective, right? He knows a lot about raptors, but he doesn't know enough, right? He says, like, they're smart, right? They're learning. They they test the fences for uh, weaknesses. They... Uh, they they're just really enormously clever creatures and you can tell there's a degree to which like he has no freaking clue because he has never dealt with anything like this right he's hunted lions and elephants and crap right but he understands those far better than he understands velociraptors and of course there's that moment right where um where he gets killed and it's he gets killed basically almost in the same exact way that grant uh imagines would be how a velociraptor would hunt yeah. when he he gets that kid right he wants to terrify that kid in the very beginning um that's what happens right and he, what is his response Muldoon's response is clever girl yeah and a great line it is so great that line is beautiful and then he dies and he has this really horrific death <laughs> um and i feel like and i don't know how you felt about Muldoon but when i watched this again i felt like when i watched it when I was younger that I was inclined to not like Muldoon because he's, he's a big game hunter, but I actually kind of liked him. Yeah. I think we are meant to, uh, uh, feel badly when he gets in that he is, um, uh, I mean, he's one of the few who, um, has a sense of just how dangerous this really is. And, uh, that, um, he's doing his, he's, you know, he's, he's trying to act in the best interests of everyone concerned. Uh, I think the, uh, the, the follow up to that, um, uh, the, the clever girl line is, of course, the, 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 I think one of the, one of the best moments in, um, in the film. And I think that captures both, um, spiel, the, the, the weird mix of over the top and subtle. Sometimes in the same moment that you get with uh, with Spielberg, and that's when uh, the raptor opens the kitchen door, uh, and and on so on the one hand, um, it's a little thing, right? Uh, one of the most for uh, certainly in, in 1993 for the the audience the, uh, that uh, I saw it with, the most terrifying moment in the film was when that doorknob turned. 
uh, when the president was, they're not allowed to do that, and he's completely freaking out. Um, So it's it's a little thing. It's the turning of a doorknob. Right uh, now, it's also an extreme close-up with uh, the uh, the a sinister choir playing on the soundtrack. So it's um, it's both a little thing and it's punch. It's made gigantic, uh, and 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 Spielberg is one of these people who, when he's when he's on, can pull that off that kind of thing off beautifully. And I think he does so there. Oh, he uh, does. I mean, that moment when you the the camera comes to the door and you see you hear the sound of the raptor. You hear that that brr, brr, like kind of purr sound, and then you see its nose come up, and it actually blows air and like fogs up the window, and then the door, and I, that whole scene is really just well shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the on the the topic of terror, because um, I don't know if I mentioned this. I I think I may mention that uh that one of the films that I was scared about that scared the crap out of me was uh, Ernest Scared Stupid. Right? Was that last that was our last episode on the Wicker Man, I believe. Um. And I did want to say that uh, there are two films that scared me so much that uh, when I was a kid that I, I couldn't finish it. I had to, to like either leave or hide. And the other film was actually Jurassic Park because – and I hate to age you a little bit, David, but I was 10 years yeah. old when this came out. <laughs> I was working on my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, David. But <laughs> but um, and, and it's weird because I, I was thinking while watching this that um, – you know, when I was a kid, I was big into dinosaurs at around 10. I really liked dinosaurs, so it seemed fitting. Like, let's let's take Sean to a dino movie, right? That's that's the right thing to do. And when I saw <laughs> this film, it scared me so much. I was scared through the whole film that I hid in the car. We were at a drive, drive-in, and I just I just hid under the thing. And, like, well, my, my father would not leave, right, because he paid for the movie, and he didn't want to leave. So my mom was, like, consoling me the whole time because I was so terrified. It was terrifying and when i rewatched this film i've seen it twice in the last couple weeks um that terror i mean obviously it's not the same terror i don't want to (laughs) hide because otherwise it would be really difficult to have a conversation david um but that it is still terrifying i mean that that first time when you see the t-rex come out and then you see the head come right up and stare into the car that that scene is just a horrifying image um, and it's again one of those moments where like Spielberg is really genius. He doesn't use a CG head; he uses a, a giant puppet head, and yeah. with a dilating eye and everything. And it's it's so. I mean, the, the dinosaurs in this are terrifying, and it's something that I find lacks in the later films as they get increasingly less terrifying. And I think because the films start to rely more on CG, and oftentimes don't bring in the suspense. Whereas in this one, uh. This film, I mean, the moment you hear that that doom of the, I mean, right? It's iconic. You see the the water jiggling in the in the low glass, right? That that moment because you know it's coming, but you have to wait, and it's yeah. terrifying. And I love it, and I love how how terrifying this film is. It is a horror film as well as a giant monster. I mean, obviously, giant monster movies tend to be horror films, but you get what I mean, right? It's it, it's yeah. using horror film qualities to really drive that tension so that when it happens it's just it's like an explosion like catharsis but not the good kind (laughs) yeah and that was one of the things that delighted me uh when i saw the film in 93 was that i was was seeing an adult audience terrified by dinosaurs uh you know you know it's like okay you're all being taken back to your childhoods here uh that was uh 
yeah, that I, I love the fact that this was a film that was scaring people. And I think in the examples you gave that, I mean, he's really, um, he's, he's, again, this is Spielberg giving us all, you know, the, all the stuff that we saw in Jaws, um, being, uh, deployed once again to, to frighten the audiences as, well, I shouldn't say as much as possible because uh, one of the things that has characterized um, uh, Spielberg's work, um, and we even see this to a degree in Jaws, not as much, uh, but if we look at uh, his early films like Duel and Jaws, which are you know, some grueling exercises in suspense, uh, uh, Duel in particular, Jaws gives us the scares, but also it has something scary happen and then it has something funny happen, right? Um, and... Uh, and so there's, so it remains fun, even though it's also terrifying. Mm. Uh, and, and it's a balance that um, has eluded other filmmakers who are sort of trying to work in the same register. I think Stephen Summers seems absolutely incapable of, of getting this right. Um, but uh, the and and so all of those uh, skills are being put to uh, good use in Jurassic Park. Though there is a significant difference in that. Um, when the T-Rex is, uh, you know, is going after the kids in that car, uh, and you know, they're holding up the plexiglass and the jaws is, is opening wide, it's, it's absolutely terrifying. And yet, um, you also know deep in your heart, those kids are not going to get eaten, right? Uh, Spielberg ate a small, had a small child get eaten in jaws, and that would be the last time he would do anything like that. Until what Schindler's List? Uh, so yeah. the uh, there's there's a there's a, it, it's it's terrifying, but safe, right? He's not. He, um, he, you're you're going to get the 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 fear of a roller coaster ride, but you're not going to be disturbed, right? It's going to be a fun fear that uh, that that he's giving you in, in well, Jurassic Park. Well, maybe that is the benefit of being an adult, because when I was ten. I thought yeah, everyone I mean, when was getting eaten. <laughs> yeah, when you're a little kid, yeah, yeah. As as an adult, I'm, I'm talking, yes, yeah, certainly from uh, from an adult perspective. Yeah, when you're a little Fair. kid and you're there in the car with them, yeah, you're not. Yeah, you're <laughs> uh, it's likely to be a much more primal experience. Although I can um, imagine, and, and that. Oh, go ahead. I was just, just going to say the the sense of wonder that uh, you're. you're uh, that that uh, you mentioned there it also works very effectively. There's also, like I said earlier, I think a bit of a one-off, right? Because it's something that Spielberg is unable to recreate in The Lost World. He can't. Uh, yeah, he tries. No, but he can't. and he can't. Well, and partly it's that we've now um, we have experienced these dinosaurs for the first time, and and we uh, we've we've seen them now, and he can't reintroduce them. Right, and and though the, the that sense of awe works every time you watch Jurassic Park, I mean that 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 moment when um, when when Alan Grant collapses in um, in wonderment after you know seeing um, yeah. the dinosaurs for the first time, still get you know um, still tear up when I see that. Um, I do too. Yeah. Uh, and and so that you know that 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 is evergreen in the way that it works, but you can't follow that up. You you can't do it again in the next film. Not That's really. true. Uh, so you have to go on and do something else. And they, uh, he tries, although The Lost World, I, I think, is a far inferior film in part because a, a lot of the balance that's in Jurassic Park is gone. Um, it also, um, I mean, th- I think one of the, though there is stuff that I in, uh, certainly enjoy about um, The Lost World. I mean, you, you put, well, A, I... I um, I've mentioned this theory uh, in other venues uh, before, but I, th- I feel the need to to trot it out now. Is um, my contention that there is uh, it's it's my law of dinosaurs in films, 
and that is um, there are limits to how bad any movie that has dinosaurs in it can be. And the corollary to that is that there, the film has not been made that could not be improved by the addition of dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, and uh, so... Well, wait the... a minute. No, there's an exception. Hmm? Uh, the, the film that was not improved by the addition of dinosaurs was the fourth Transformers movie. But think how much worse it would have been if there weren't dinosaurs in it. That is a fair point. <laughs> you see, that, that, that's what I mean, right? Uh, no, matter, no matter how bad a movie you see with dinosaurs are, if you take the dinosaurs out, the movie becomes that much worse. <laughs> Right. And, um, you know, and uh, I mean, yeah, so, you know, Citizen Kane, it's an awesome, awesome film. But man, if it had a dinosaur in it. So uh, <laughs> I, I think perhaps the uh, the film that best illustrates this is a Tree of Life. Now, um, whereas I don't entirely buy the portray the use of dinosaurs to portray the concept of grace um, uh, in the film, they're damn cool dinosaurs. Uh, and I found them much more compelling than Brad Pitt's parenting skills. So, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, there is a film. It's like, why does this have dinosaurs in it? It doesn't make sense, but thank God they're there. <laughs> so, uh, the, uh, but I was, so this is sidetracked me somewhat. One of the things I, I did want to, um, bring up was, um, some of the, uh, the, the context of Jurassic Park and, and, um, and Spielberg's, um, uh, referencing of other films, right? And, and so the, the very conscious context in which the films exist. And that was one of my disappointments with The Lost World, both the novel and the film, is that there was essentially zero acknowledgement of the novel that gave the book its title. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and of the, and of the, the, the film adaptation that, uh, from 1925, uh, which was the first time we had dinosaurs rampaging through a city. Um, uh, as well as a, a a a lost plateau of of, of wonderfully animated dinosaurs, um, but that but in, in Jurassic Park we do get the acknowledgments. Now they're they're not always they, and, and 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 they're not always subtle, uh, but they're um, but but they're enjoyable. So uh, we get the gate that looks like the gate from the original King Kong, uh, and which of course Jeff Goldblum. Uh, uh, points out for us by saying, "What have you got in here, King Kong?" Um, <laughs> and um, and at the end, uh, when the banner that says "When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth" flutters down around the roaring T Rex, on the one hand, it's a nice victory moment for uh, the dinosaur. Uh, it uh, the 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 statement of the banner suggesting where things could be going, but it's also an acknowledgement of the the film "When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth." Uh, which is one of the, it, it has one of the, the odder origins in that it began as a treatment by J.G. Ballard. Uh, and, uh, and the, the, the Hammer films from the late 60s, uh, When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth and, um, uh, uh, One Million Years BC, um, were high watermarks as far as dinosaur special effects were concerned, uh, in, uh, you know, lead, you know, Prior to uh, things like like Jurassic Park, and and this has been a, a, a trademark of um, uh, of Spielberg. So Jaws, for example, its score is essentially a remix of the score from Creature from the Black Lagoon, and the opening scene of Jaws recreates uh, a number of shots from uh, the. Uh, the famous underwater ballet sequence of Creature from the Black Lagoon. So you have Jaws bouncing off its 
source material uh, or uh, in, in some ways. And Jurassic Park does as well. Hmm. And the the other thing I um, uh, I wanted to mention as far as the context is concerned is the timing of um, certain releases. So I mentioned uh, Roger Corman's reaction to seeing Jaws, going, "Oh crap, it's my kind of movie's <laughs> done really, really expensively." Right. Well, um, one of the things that uh, that Corman did very well, um, uh, well, has always done well, is or, you know read trends and adapt. Now in the seventies. Uh, he uh, he rushed um, Death Race 2000 into production to beat Rollerball into the theaters on the assumption that Rollerball, the big budget movie uh, you know, with the prestige director Norman Jewison and James Kahn and the cast, that was going to be the big hit. Now, as it turned out, <laughs> Death Race 2000 not only got into the theaters before Rollerball, it was a better movie than Rollerball and, did, and uh, was also uh, more uh, critically successful. Well, we flash forward to Jurassic Park, and the era of the, the drive-in film is dead. Uh, Corman has um, uh, shifted to home video uh, because it's much more difficult to get B-movies into films, into theaters anymore. But we get a little ga- last gasp of that kind of approach. He rushed Carnosaur into production and got it into the theaters the week before Jurassic Park opened. Now, <laughs> Carnosaur is not a good film, uh, though it has the interesting casting of Diane Ladd in it, since it's her daughter uh, in Jurassic Park. And it's not every movie where you get to see Diane Ladd give birth to a dinosaur. Uh, <laughs> And uh, now it is also based on a novel. And uh, now, unlike Jurassic Park, which is very, it's um, in its broad lines, follows uh, Crichton's novel uh, quite well. Uh, Carnosaur keeps the title uh, of its uh, source novel and genetically created dinosaurs, and that's it. It doesn't it doesn't keep any of the plot at all. The the novel has uh, dinosaurs running around uh, rural England. Uh, rampaging through malls and uh, eating uh, little girls on ponies and things like that. <laughs> um, but the thing about the novel Carnosaur is that it has dinosaurs recreated from fossilized DNA, and it came out fully six years before Crichton's novel. So, sort of a, a little bit of a swirl of um, uh, of, of, of sort of contextual elements sort of coming together at the time of Jurassic Park's release. Interesting. Interesting. I know uh, I was reading that that one of the reasons why uh, Michael Crichton uh, wrote Jurassic Park was uh, that his wife was pregnant and he kept going. He couldn't stop himself from buying stuffed animals for their their future child. And what he kept buying were stuffed dinosaurs, uh, which his wife thought was really weird because they were having a daughter. And so, like, I guess she was expecting him to bring home ponies or something. Um, and that was the moment, at least in, according to one of the books, and that was quoting him. That's the moment he decided that maybe he needed to write a book <laughs> about dinosaurs. So his inspiration was stuffed dinosaurs, and you can see obviously a little bit of that in this film, right? Because when we get that one good shot of the the, the gift shop with all the stuffed yeah. dinosaurs, um, so it's really good. Uh, so I I don't really have much to say about about the. The context, because I think that's all very interesting, David. Unfortunately, you know more about Carnosaur than I do. Uh, <laughs> that w- it, I should add, it's a, it's a book that has the greatest blurb in history. Uh, it's a two-word blurb from the Times. Appalling nastiness. That's See, the, that could be fun. <laughs> hey, it got me to buy it. Well, to be fair, David, you, you 
you're you like Jurassic World, so I mean, you buy anything. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, no, I'm teasing. Uh, but I I did. You mentioned very briefly like a while back, and I it's something I did want to talk about with this particular movie. Um, and then we may have to start closing out because we've been. I think we've run a little longer than normal. Uh, because we talked a lot about Jurassic World. Well, dinosaurs, uh, you know. Yeah, dinosaurs. What are you going to do? Uh, but I did want to talk about the the family element of this, because it is yeah, something yeah. that I really actually enjoyed. Uh, so for those that have, have seen it, right, they'll remember the very early scene where uh, <laughs> Dr. Grant, has, he's, he's talking about all these raptors, and they're making fun of him because he thinks raptors evolved into birds. And this kid's like, that doesn't look very scary. It just looks like a six-foot turkey. And then he does this whole scene, right, where he talks about, like, you're going to be eaten alive by a raptor. And he scares the crap out of this kid. And then after that, right, Sattler, he says to Sattler, you want one of those? And it's that's the moment we realize they're a couple. And she's like, yes, I want some version of a miniature Dr. Grant. And they have this conversation where he's talking about why he doesn't like kids and all these kinds of things. And it's something that comes up later, right, when these two grandchildren show up and she's trying to basically, like, turn him from this this uh, one form of a man into a, a family man, essentially, by pushing these kids to kind of hold his hand and be around him. And I... And, you know, I'm, I'm sure someone could sort of take a, a critical view of that and have a, have a negative view, but I actually really like that that part of what Grant's narrative is is him learning uh, to sort of appreciate children and actually becoming like a fatherly figure, uh, which we see progressively through the film. It becomes increasingly more so up to the point right about the middle of the film where he actually is holding them on this tree right and has said i'll stay up all night just in case the dinosaurs come over here right it's it's a beautiful moment and i think that that when we get to that ending scene we have those knowing glances right between sattler and dr grant where he's holding these two kids and she's looking at him and they just give a glance like everything that needs to be said has been said right like you actually like kids now and it's and it's implied like we're gonna have a baby at some point right like Look at this. Where they don't actually, of course, she marries another man, which I think was a. I don't know. I, I feel like that was actually a kind of a mistake. I don't think that the the film should have gone that direction. I think that that this film spent so much time trying to get Doctor Grant to become this sympathetic to children and to actually be open and receptive to the idea of having his own kid with Doctor Sadler, and unfortunately that that gets underkept by later films. But uh, in any case, this film does so much with family. Right? It's, it's playing on all these different family elements. It's, it creates this sort of surrogate family with, with Dr. Sadler and Dr. Grant. It creates him into a sort of father figure. Uh, it even and to some extent makes um, Hammond a kind of maternal figure in some scenes with, when he wants to be present for the eggs. Right, He kind of mothers the little baby raptor. Um, I, it's... Yeah, so I, I think that it does a lot of really interesting things with family, and and it's one of the I think is really aside from the fact that it's a film about giant dinosaurs, the heart of the film really is the the sort of undercurrent of family that's throughout. Um, I'll confess, yeah, I'll confess I'm less fond of that, um, partly largely because it's well, I mean, it is it is an obsession of Spielberg's that comes he returns to over and over and over and over and over again um, in in his films. Um, yeah, it, it's basically it's there, you know. Uh, I mean, it, it's there in Jaws, even though that it's not it's not the focus. I mean, his family disappears for the the second half of the film. Um, 
but it it it's always there and so the moment that uh, I, I guess it, it felt to me like one of the more mechanical elements of the character. The the, the moment that uh, um, Alan Grant terrifies that kid um, in the op- uh, early in the film and says, "Yeah, you know, I don't like kids," then I knew that we would uh, have a conversion narrative, um, and uh, the, uh, the the sanctity of the nuclear family would be preserved um, in in one form or another by the time we got to the end of the film, which sure enough happened. Um, so, uh, but you know, that's that's Spielberg's thing. Um, it's always going to be there. Um, it's even in the second film, Lost World, with um, uh, what's his name? Oh, damn it, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, uh, Jeff Goldblum's uh, character. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's in it's in there. It's in the Indiana Jones films. It's in War of the Worlds. It was well, basically in every movie uh, Spielberg has ever done um, in 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 one form or another. So it's. Um, uh, because it's always there, um, I didn't worry about it too much because I, you know, it, it was inevitable. Um, but that didn't mean it was my favorite bit. That's that's just oh, come on, David. <laughs> I'm sounding like Alan Grant now, right? Is you that, 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 you that, hate that's children. Telling. That's what this is about. You just hate <laughs> all the little kids. Do you also, when you argue argue with your wife about why you don't like kids, do you also argue that they smell? <laughs> Some of them do smell, David. You know this. <laughs> I love that that's one of his reasons, right, is they smell. <laughs> He's not wrong. He's not wrong, but it's just like, you you run around in the middle of the desert digging up dinosaur bones, probably not showering that much, and your concern is whether or not a kid smells. Like, you're around B.O. all the time. <laughs> so... But it's, you know, it, it's very clear, I think, in that scene that his arguments against having kids are not good, right? They're, well, yeah, they're, they're loaded, and that's the thing, they're, all, that they're loaded against him, right? You know that he's going to be proven wrong, and um, I mean, that's, that's, that's going to be the shtick uh, over, the, uh, over the course of the film. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's, I mean, there, it's, it's, it's once we get to that, that it um, it feels even more like a Spielberg film than a Crichton film, uh, or that the, 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 that's the the uh, the inevitable Spielbergian um, kind of uh, sort of Norman Rockwell aspects that um, that, that are coming out uh, in, um, in in that aspect of Grant. Uh, having said that, he certainly um, gets to have some fun with it all along. Yeah, and I, I overall I found it. I, I mean, I really like that kind of thing, and maybe that's because I'm a little bit of a of a sap, <laughs> and, I, and I'm okay with that as long as it's constructed well. And I feel like it is constructed well here. It it is followed through from start to finish, uh, with little bits of of. It's not like a sudden change at the end. You just suddenly like kids, right? It takes until the middle of the movie till that that really changes, right? And it's actually I think the moment that that drives him is the heroic effort to save the kids from the T-Rex, right? Because it becomes clear, like, he doesn't hate kids. It's He has no idea how to interact with children. He doesn't understand children. Like, the, like you know the moment when the little the um, Joseph Mazzello, uh, who, by the way, will grow up to be in the Pacific and be, like, an incredible actor. Uh, I was completely shocked when he was in there, and I was like, oh, my God, the little Jurassic Park kid has grown up. Um, 
But the moment you hear him talking dinosaurs, like he's he like he idolizes Dr. Grant, right? And he's like, I love dinosaurs. Let's talk dinosaurs. And it's like, you know, that's the moment at which he and that kid would get along if he could just open himself up. Right. Because like who who doesn't want to have a kid like if you're like a paleontologist, right, who doesn't want to have a kid who likes dinosaurs just as much as you? Because like you could take that kid on digs, right? You could take him with you. You could go dig dinosaurs up. Wouldn't that be cool? Right. You have your kid like, hey, I don't have to I don't have to hire a bunch of staff. I don't trust. I got my own kid done. See, so I I feel like that moment. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit obvious. We know it's going to happen. But at the same time, it feels good. And I'm okay with it feeling good. Um, yeah, and, and he'll get saddled with that again, like when he does War of the Worlds, uh, that idea of sort of rebirthing the, or reconstituting the, uh, the family, the nuclear family, uh, he gets saddled with that in, in War of the Worlds, and I think it, it works less in that film only because, uh, <laughs> the, the kid, like, he, I have to go do this, I have to go watch them get their asses handed to them by giant aliens, let me go, dad, and I'm like, no father in their right mind would have let their kid. I would have knocked that kid out and dragged his ass. <laughs> You're not going. You're not going. I don't care that you showed up at the end of that movie. You're not going. End of discussion. Well, yeah, I mean, again, and I don't think that's Spielberg being saddled with it. That's Spielberg. That that's that's something that we see so often. Uh, that that's that is his that's his bag. Right. Uh, and, and as much as it also has become uh, the one of the most uh, recurring tropes in blockbuster cinema, the uh, you know the uh, you know uh, well we just saw it again in San Andreas, right? The uh, the, the the apocalypse that reunites a family, um, and, yeah. and Spielberg was one of the uh, early practitioners of that. Although to be f- like okay, so you're right. It is very common. I mean, I can think of another disaster film right off the top of my head that has this same thing. Which is 2012, which and Twister and Deep sure. Impact and uh, sure, Deep Impact. Yeah, although I feel Armageddon, better about that. Uh, but I, I, I just, will they, say that, and I got to get this off my chest, David. But yeah. uh, 2012 has one of the most of- offensive reconstitution family narrative things ever. Which is like they've got this really nice guy who's a plastic surgeon who's taking care of the man's family. The 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 father is a deadbeat, and then. In, towards the end, the the uh, the stepfather gets ground up in a bunch of gears, yeah. and it's like, oh, he was never around. We're all fine as a family together. And that was a moment which I I knew I hated that film more than anything else in the world. Was when you could just discard him, and nobody even seemed to care that he was dead, with no reason for why. Like it's he's not a bad man. He doesn't beat the kids. He doesn't beat the wife. Right? He's not a rapist. He's not a murderer. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he's he's the ideal man, right? He's he's attentive to the kids. He's attentive to her needs. Uh, he is successful, right? He's got everything like that we claim we want in the man. But it is the deadbeat dad who's driving limos and hasn't sold a novel in years, uh, who who has to be held. Oh, I just I hate that. I hate that so much. It undermines everything about the family, maybe intentionally. Well, speaking as a stepfather, uh, I loved that scene. Uh, you love when he died? Yeah, I thought that was terrific. Not, I mean, I was sorry that he died, but um, I liked the way the film did that. And, I mean, this is, yeah, we've gone on too long. We can't get into this discussion now, but... Uh, 
there are all kinds of ways in which I think uh, 2012 subverts um, the expected tropes, uh, and I think it's actually a much, much, much more intelligent film than people give it credit for. But that uh, is, is, is a discussion for another hour. Oh my god, David, I just can't believe you just <laughs> said those words. What the hell is going on today? Okay, uh, okay. so very, very last thing, um, uh, and we haven't really talked about it, uh, is Sattler herself. Um, I think one of my favorite... There, there are two favorite scenes of hers in the movie, and there are two of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. It's the moment when they're... Uh, when, um, oh, God, what the hell is Jeff Goldblum's character's name again? Malcolm, uh, Dr. Malcolm, Ian Malcolm. Ian Malcolm, thank you. Uh, where Malcolm is like, you know, man creates... Uh, man creates God... Uh, or, or God creates dinosaurs... Uh, God kills dinosaurs, uh, man, I don't remember the order, right? But he's going through this whole order, and uh, man creates dinosaurs. And then she says, you know, uh, dinosaurs eat man, woman inherits the earth. And I love that line so much. It is like, it's just brilliantly on point. And it's something that comes up again later when uh, Hammond, right, who is partially uh, handicapped or crippled, I'm not sure what would be the, the appropriate term. He, he has a limp. He has to walk with a cane, right? And and she's going to go walk out into the woods where the raptors may be loose and turn all the lights back on. And he's like, well, I should be the one going because I'm a dude and you're a woman. And her response is, uh, look, we, we can discuss sexism and survival situations when I get back, right? And I love that sort of just shutting down that nonsense, right? I love that, that bit. And even Muldoon, right? He respects her. Right? He never challenges when like she says, I'm going to go with Muldoon to go find the kids. He never says, no, 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 women should stay behind. Right? She's time and time again throughout the film shows herself to be remarkably capable. She's intelligent. She's, when she needs to be brave, right? she is as good as all of the male characters. She obviously doesn't get it in a full arc. She doesn't spend as much time in the film as you noted very much earlier, David. But I loved Sattler's character because she is, she's... She's just she's a she's a well-rounded character. I thought she's just really well done, and Laura Dern does an excellent job. I think with her. Yeah, and I think full credit to uh, to Dern uh, for for bringing her to to such life. And it's and it's interesting that you know the later films they don't seem to know what to do with her. Right? They either uh, remove her from the film altogether, uh, but she, you know, she gets a Deus Ex Machina role um, in the third film, um, but um, but not. Um, the, I mean, she's she's a great character that you wish they could have done more with. Uh, that she has those great lines, um, but she is. I mean, once the um, once everything goes wrong, she's basically reduced to hanging around at the center, waiting for um, Grant to come back. Right? Uh, she gets chased, but go out, goes out to get chased by the T Rex, and then that's it until the uh, the, the, the Raptor stuff uh, r- right at the end. Um, and, uh, and and whereas Grant gets to survive out in uh, in the wilds with the dinosaurs, um, in no small part using his knowledge of, um, uh, of of dinosaurs, Sattler doesn't get to shine in that way right she uh, when she after giving delivering that great line uh, uh, about uh, sexism and survival situations uh, she then goes out to turn the power on and and then um, is instructed by men for, uh, on how to do that 
so she, you know, the, she isn't really, um, you know, her her skills. What you know, the what what we have given of her wonderful character. Um, there's not really a lot done with that. Um, and then, and like I said, the other films just don't know what to do with her and just sort of effectively remove her altogether uh, and uh, turn the. Uh, um, well, uh, I mean, J- Julianne Moore um, um, is uh, the you know is, is given a lot a lot of fun. Uh, in fact, she's allowed to have more fun in the Lost World than Sattler is um, than, than Laura Dern is in in Jurassic Park. Yeah, because uh, she gets to do a little bit more with her actual knowledge, I think, than Sattler does here. Yeah, and she's also you know in in the field much more, as it were. I mean, th- having said that, those are they're, they're certainly they're, those are very nice moments, and uh, she is a great character. And I think it's in some ways she's a a better uh, in, in, as embodied by Laura Dern, she's better than um, uh, the plot deserves. Uh, if, if I could put it that way, she uh, there's so much more that could have been done with her. It's great what we, what's nice is what we have, but one wishes for more because of those great lines and uh, because of the great spirit um, that, um, that that Duran gives her. Yeah, that's fair. Well, uh, we have run a little bit longer than our normal allotted time, and that's because we've been having a blast uh, talking have. about these these films. Uh, I'm really glad we got to do Jurassic Park because I will admit that I I love this film. I think it is legitimately a great film. Uh, it does the blockbuster formula really well, um, or maybe not so much formula. It, it, it's just good. It's just a good film, and it has giant dinosaurs. It's got adorable children and sam neill and laura dern and jeff goldblum and freaking richard attenborough which i didn't know until i looked it up and i was like no way david attenborough's brother is in this movie this is amazing so also a very important director in his own right he was yes i i, I don't want to undercut that uh, that he wasn't uh, important in his own right i just As soon as I looked that up, I was like, no, that can't be true. And then I started thinking about the voice, and I was like, okay, the voice is a little Attenborough-y. What is going on? (laughs) So uh, I think it would have been amusing if uh, there's a moment when he says, I spared no expense to to get this this voice to do the – when they're in the Jeeps, right, that's doing all the talking. Um, Spared no expense to get this dude. I think it would have been hilarious if he had got his actual brother (laughs) to do the voice. I got David Attenborough. (laughs) Hmm. That would have been hilarious, I think, because there'd have been like this weird meta. But anyways, um, so David, you need to tell us what our next film is. Well, um, we're staying in the nineties, um, and uh, so 1998 um, was a year of, uh, of of end of the world films or or near end of the world films. So you had Deep Impact and Armageddon uh, battling it out in the summer, but um, in that year you also had. Uh, uh, a film called Last Night, and this has been uh, uh, described, I think, accurately as the quintessentially Canadian take on the end of the world. And so you will have here uh, everyone from a um, pre-Grey's uh, Anatomy Sandra O. Oh, as one of the leads, um, to David Cronenberg um, as a kindly gas company executive uh, <laughs> dealing with the last six hours of life on Earth. 
Uh, and uh, the, I, I mentioned, and I, I feel that we should do this because you're in the midst of your Abel Ferrara um, uh, uh, marathon, and you'll be encountering um, his film, which has basically got the same idea, uh, or a very similar idea, uh, but uh, from 2011 instead of 1998. And Last Night is also very funny. So, uh, yes. Uh, so yeah, we'll be, um, so there you go. You'll, 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 you'll get your Canadian apocalypse, um, uh, next time. Well, excellent. Uh, so for folks listening, if you'd like to let us know, you know, if you've got any comments about the Jurassic Park discussion or Jurassic World, um, uh, just a warning, I will delete any comments that disagree with me. No, I'm kidding. I won't do that. I'm just teasing. Um, but you can send us an uh, email at totallypretentious at gmail.com. You can also tweet either David or I. David is at David underscore Annandale, and I am at Sean Duke. Uh, you can also leave a comment on the blog post. It should be easy enough to find if you just go to totallypretentious.com and go to episodes. It'll be listed there. Um, and uh, the other thing I did want to note is that I've been putting up on the blog uh, the day after these episodes release. I've been putting a post that contains all the ways you can watch the uh, the next month's film online um, because there's most of the films we've been watching have been in some capacity available online for rental or purchase. And so I want people to be able to watch it along with us and to maybe, you know, that way you're not <laughs> listening to an episode about a movie you've never seen and, and feel like you're too lost. Um, so look for that post as well at, at totallypretentious.com. And that's it. So thanks again, David, for letting me do this amazing movie. Oh, well, thank you, Sean. It was fun uh, talking about it. Absolutely. And we'll see everybody next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.